Let's pray. Father, you are highly exalted. You reign over the nations. And so uh, we pray that you would help us to be uh, nation-minded, mission-minded, Jesus-minded, Lord, that we would uh, tell of your salvation from day to day, that we would tell of your marvelous works, that we declare them among all peoples. And so as a church, I pray that you would grow us uh, in this area of evangelism and missions as we've been praying and talking about for the last couple weeks. I pray that you would help me today as we look at, uh, at a, difficult, a difficult text, but an absolutely glorious and, and incredible text uh, that, uh, that declares your glory, that shows uh, an eternal reality, Lord. I pray that this would spur us on this week. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Church family, turn with me to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 17. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 17. Uh, for the last couple weeks, we've been in a mini-series with an emphasis on evangelism and missions. Uh, we've defined evangelism. We've understood evangelism's purpose. Last week... Pastor Donald saw how our hearts should be toward uh, that of the gospel going local, uh, but also going global uh, around the world, that we should have a heart for evangelism, but also a heart for global missions, for, for taking the gospel to unreached people groups, whether that's people here from Abner Creek going around the world, uh, selling, selling it all and moving across the world to take the gospel, or whether that's as a church, uh, us growing and how we're going to send our resources uh, to help those that do to take the gospel to the nations. This morning, we're going to see what it will look like when the Lord returns and all of our evangelism and missionary efforts are complete. We're going to see an end and final uh, and eternal uh, result. Uh, God's plan uh, for our evangelism and missionary efforts. Uh, If you would, join me as we read Revelation chapter 7, 9 to 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with their palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more neither thirst nor more. The sun shall not strike them nor scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How often 
do you think about eternity? How often do you think about eternity? I hope that you think about it enough that it affects the way that you live your life now. Looking forward to something changes the way that you live in the present, that you live in the current moment. If you're going on vacation next week, you're going to spend this week preparing for that vacation. You're going to maybe pack your bags. You're going to maybe make a schedule. You're going to begin to preparing in various ways. I know in our family, when we have a trip coming up, we tend to begin to plan weeks in advance. We place our bags on the dining room table, and we begin to slowly add to them, preparing, anticipating the trip. We'll go to the store and we'll think, oh, hey, maybe we need these snacks for the kids. Maybe we'll need this. Maybe we'll need that. We'll bring it home, begin to put it in our bags. Weeks in advance, we begin to prepare for what is to come. We, the current, we live in the moment preparing for what is to come in the future. Revelation 7 paints a picture of eternity for us. It paints a picture uh, that I pray, church family, will be a comfort for your own souls as well as a reminder that you are just a visitor to this earth. This isn't your home, but eternity, heaven, is your home because of what Christ has done for you. This world is not your home. And so, uh, Christian, I I pray that this text would be an encouragement to you uh, because you get a picture of heaven. You get a picture of eternity and what eternity will look like. But while comforting you, I also pray that it will create an urgency in you to tell the truth about Jesus, to be on mission, Because there are countless people around the world who have not repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus, meaning that their eternity will look a lot different than Revelation 7, 9 9 through 17. It'll look completely different. In fact, it'll be the exact opposite. And so I want to argue this morning that in Revelation 7, 9 through 17, that this is the end and eternal result for our evangelism and missionary efforts. This is the finish line. This is the final and forever celebration. God has an end and eternal result for our evangelism and missionary efforts. And then under that, I want to look at two things. That result will look like two things that we'll begin to unpack throughout our time this morning. One, it'll look like a multitude worshiping God forever. And second, it'll look like a multitude being restored to God forever. God has an end and eternal result for our evangelism and missionary efforts that will look like a multitude worshiping God forever, and that will look like a multitude being restored to God forever. Let's look at the first, a multitude worshiping God forever. This is an eternal reality that the entire passage is centered around, Uh, one that as Christians we should think of regularly. Though this earth is full of suffering, one day there will be a multitude standing before God who will be worshiping him forever. This, This text is centered around the idea of a multitude. When you hear that word multitude, uh, this can, it can be defined differently. It could also be translated army. And so picture this, picture an army standing before Jesus, standing before the throne of God, worshiping him. The army is declaring God's victory over sin and death. Jesus wins. And so that's the image that we just read in Revelation 7. An army of all of God's people gathered together gathered to celebrate the victory, the final victory for all eternity. The brutal effects of sin will be once for all destroyed and will save his people and God will save his people from that destruction, the destruction that we deserve. The wrath of God has to come because of our sin. And if we look back a little, a little bit at the last verse in Revelation 6, Speaking of this wrath, a question is proposed 
for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? So as we think about this reality, who can stand against the wrath of God? The wrath of God is coming for sinners. And Revelation 7 gives us that answer. That those who have been sealed, those who have been sealed by God and covered by the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of Jesus, all who trust in Jesus, they can stand before God because Jesus took God's wrath for them. This is why the eternal perspective is so important because this present predicament, who can stand? Who can withstand God's wrath? We're sinners. The wages of sin is death. Are we going to get what we deserve? This reality drives us straight to Christ alone for our salvation. Because a multitude is standing before God, not because of what they have done here in Revelation 7, but because of what Christ has done, as we're going to see in more detail. I want to take a moment early to speak to the skeptic or the unbeliever who who might be here this morning. The wrath of God is coming. So this is a reality. Who can stand? And so I want this reality to, to sink in for you. The wrath of God is coming, so turn quickly to Christ. Ask him to save you from your sins today. Turn to him as your king, thinking of this eternal reality is comforting for the Christian, but for you, it may be unsettling. And so I want to I respond to that and say, hey, there's hope for you. There's hope for you in Christ. And so continue to listen carefully as we talk about this multitude, who they are, and how they, and how they got there. This end of this endless act of worship from God's people is an end result and uh, eternal reality of our evangelism and missionary efforts. Revelation 7 is a small picture of heaven. It's what I love about this text. There will be an uncountable group of people who will eternally be worshiping God and eternally be satisfied in Him. That's what, that's what we, we, we just read. Eternal worship, eternal satisfaction. This isn't just a few people from a few faithful churches in our area. This is a multitude. This is a a number that is uncountable throughout history and for years to come. Among the multitude will be all of those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. This multitude will include those from our local church family from Abner Creek, those who have placed their trust in Jesus, praise the Lord. There are, this multitude will include those from local churches in our area, from local churches across the United States, those who have placed their trust in Jesus. This multitude will also include those who have placed their trust in Jesus around the world. Oftentimes we don't think of this, but this is helpful to remind ourselves of. This multitude will include those who are meeting secretly in homes in China and North Korea who have placed your trust in Jesus in the Middle East, in Africa, places you have never seen before and places that you may never see. This multitude will include these people as well, those who speak English and Spanish and Farsi and Mandarin, people who speak languages that you and I have never heard of and didn't even know exist because they've placed their trust in Jesus alone. There will be no language barrier There will be no distinction of race or ethnicity. The multitude will be diverse in every way imaginable, but that diversity will be unified around one thing, and that's Jesus. It's helpful to think about that sometimes. It helps us think outside of our own four walls. It helps us think about outside of ourselves, 
a reminder of what the Lord is doing all around the world. This multitude cannot be numbered. Can't be numbered by you. Can't be numbered by me. But only by God who has sealed the scroll with names of his people on it. It is God who is forming this people to live as worshipers of him forever and ever and ever. That's awesome. That's an incredible reality. You and I have, a, have the privilege at Abner Creek to have the opportunity to look around and to see other Christians following Jesus, following hard after Jesus, maybe even in hard times. We can look around and see, man, there are other people that are with me. There are other people that are following Jesus around me and my local church family. This is why we need the local church. But I imagine this idea of a multitude is also really encouraging for those who might not have Christians around them. You look at places that it's hard to follow Jesus. It's illegal to follow Jesus. There aren't local churches like this meeting publicly. And so maybe they're meeting privately. Maybe they're all alone and they don't know other Christians. Maybe they just know a few Christians. But this idea of a multitude here in Revelation 7, I'm sure is a comfort for them. And let's be honest, this may be you and me one day. We may look around and there's not that many people following Jesus. We pray that's not the case. We want uh, we want tons of people, countless people to be filling this room and following Jesus. But maybe if things get hard and we look around and there may not be that many people following Jesus, this can be a comfort for us. That though there are people that feel alone in their faith, that the Lord has saved countless people that we can never number. Historically, in the past, saving them now and he will save them in the future. And we'll be with them for all eternity, forever and ever and ever. Earlier in Revelation 7, we read about the 144,000. You probably see, uh, if, if you looked up, you might have seen that number. Maybe you've, you've read that text before. We didn't read that this morning. But it would be helpful to mention the 144,000 because of the context. These 144,000 earlier in Revelation 7 are sealed by God, meaning they belong to him. Nothing will happen to this earth until all of God's people or the 144,000 are sealed and secured for all eternity. As we read the rest of the chapter in Revelation 7, uh, my interpretation is that we see that, that this 144,000 is not an exact number of God's people, but it's representative of God's people. God's people that will be secured by him forever and ever. In fact, we see that in God's kindness, the number is going to be far greater than 144,000. So it's not an exact number. It's a number that's going to be far greater than that. It's going to be a number that no one could ever count. It's going to be a number that we'd never be able to count. It's far greater than that. So that's something to, to worship the Lord for. I, I want to pause here and, and, and reflect on this for just a moment, the fact that this number can't be counted. Uh, there are a couple applications here. One, uh, there is none deserving of God's salvation. We know that, that the wages of sin is death, and there is none righteous, no, not one. We're rebels against him, and yet in, his mer in the mercy of God, God saves countless sinners. We can't even count them. He saves, saves countless sinners like you and me. There is none deserving of salvation. So even saying that say, God saving one person is the mercy of God. But the fact that he saves a multitude, the fact that he saves a number that we can't even count, that just shows God's character. It shows his kindness. He shows his mercy. This alone is worthy of our worship. So that's, a, that's an application. That's a response to 
this idea of the multitude not being counted. Second, there's a multitude, meaning that when we share the gospel, there will be people who repent and believe. I've said this before in a sermon. This gives us hope in our evangelism. This is the end result in our uh, eternal reality of our evangelism and missions. Christ will not return until all the multitude has repented and believed. And so we go. We go and we share the gospel because we read that there is a multitude, a countless people that you and I cannot count. And so we go and we tell of his salvation from day to day. We tell of his marvelous works among all people because of what Christ has done. This multitude cannot be numbered and Christ will not return. The end goal of all missionary efforts and our missions uh, has not been met and Christ will not return until it has been met, until the multitude that God can number is sealed by him. And so we know right now Christ has not returned. And so we go. And so we tell of his salvation from day to day to all who would hear. We send resources around the world so that more people can hear the gospel because he has not returned because there is a multitude. There are more people out there who need to repent of their sins and trust in Christ. And as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, how are they going to believe if they do not hear? And so we have to tell. Church family, this has been on my heart and I hope it has been on yours as well. This multitude creates urgency for us. It creates comfort and it creates an urgency for us. This multitude is sealed for the purpose of worshiping God forever. This is what eternity will be like. And trust me, we don't want it any other way. This is what the multitude is doing. They're worshiping God and they're, they're in white robes with palm branches worshiping God. So let's unpack that a little bit. What are the white robes about? What are the palm branches about? The white robes, maybe you picked up on this. The white robes are representing purity and blamelessness in the sight of God right here. In Revelation, earlier in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says that the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Well, in Revelation 7, 9, we see that the multitude standing in white robes, all right, and then verse 14 tells us why the robes are white. Not by anything that the individuals have done, but because of what the Lamb has done, what Christ has done. They pass from this life into all eternity and are given white robes because their sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. They've placed their trust in Him alone and their sins have been washed clean. That's why they're wearing white robes, because they've been washed clean. In the Lord's providence, I, I, I didn't look at the songs we were singing up front this week. Sorry, Melissa. But... Uh, I had this in my sermon already, and so we sang this morning, and I was like blown away. Uh, I was going to say, have you heard of the hymn, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb, right? And here we are, here we did sing it this morning. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? This is what's happening in Revelation 7. How incredible is that in the Lord's kindness, in the Lord's providence, that we got to sing that this morning. I'm so thankful for that. This is what's happening in Revelation 7. Jesus alone washes our sin because he took God's wrath on the cross for us. He shed his blood for us. And so upon our repentance and faith, God saves us. He washes us clean. The blood that was on our hands, Jesus took it on the cross. And now we stand before God in white ribs, spotless, because of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus. So I just want to ask you this morning, are you washed? in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? 
Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? The palm branches might sound familiar uh, to some of you. Maybe you're aware of some of the use of palm branches in the Old Testament first. The Old Testament feasts that we find, maybe the Feast of Tabernacles in particular, the Israelites would wave palm branches to celebrate all that the Lord had done for them. Or we may think of the account in the Gospels. This might be the most familiar to us when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and uh, the people are, are, are waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna to Jesus. Only this time in Revelation 7, there will be no betrayal that follows a week after but endless praise to our King, endless praise to Jesus, a forever feast celebrating all that he has done, waving palm branches before him, shouting Hosanna, shouting salvation belongs to the Lord, as we see here uh, later, later on in the text. This is what the people are shouting. This is what the multitude is, is shouting. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the lamb. That's verse 10. They're worshiping the God of their salvation. The, mul- the multitude isn't celebrating that they've gotten themselves out of God's wrath. We know that that's not the case. We, we've already talked about that. They're celebrating what Christ has done for them, what God has done for them through the lamb. They're unified in, in, in worship to God for his salvation. God rescued them from his wrath. All throughout scripture, this very line is used, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And the way we, the way we see that is to, is to respond and say that all glory is due to his name. And so because of this, the multitude is going to be worshiping God forever in all eternity. And I, I think it's, it's really neat that the angels affirm this, okay, in the text. If you look at, you look at the text, we continue to read that the angels respond in verse 11. They affirm that salvation belongs to God. Uh, Along with the multitude, the angels bow down and worship saying, amen. Basically saying, that's right, I I agree. I affirm that. They're affirming that salvation belongs to God and the Lamb. And then they go on to attribute more worship. Look at this, blessing, honor, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, power, and might. Basically the angels are saying, there is none like the Lord. There is none like our God. And what I love about this is that the angels have already been doing this forever. And yet, they're fully content. And they're going to keep doing it forever and ever and ever. And they're looking at the multitude and saying, amen. That's right. He's worthy. He's worthy of it all. They're affirming this by saying amen. And then they're adding to it, attributing more worship to who God is. They're not tired of it. And let me just say, if you are in Christ, this end result, this eternal reality, we will never get tired of doing this, of standing before the Lord and worshiping him forever and ever. This is where remembering that eternal perspective is important because this joyful scene is going to go on forever. There is no end. And so look forward to this. Anticipate this. Live your life in light of this. Be on mission for him because of this. Because there's a multitude who, when hearing the gospel, will respond in faith. So go and tell of his salvation from day to day. Because the reality is, as I mentioned earlier, that the way that this multitude of God's people is standing before God is far different than those who are not in Christ, those who aren't following Jesus. It's going to look far different for them. Those who have not trusted in Christ will stand 
judged and condemned. There will be no white robes. There will be no palm branches. And so, Christian, let this be an urgency to tell of Jesus to all that you know, to all who are, you are in contact with. We must do this. Because the reality of those in white robes, these are those in Christ. These are Christians. These are those who have repented of their sins. And so it's implied that the opposite effect is, is far worse. So let this be a motivation for you. Let that sink in. But just a reminder that for the multitude, there is no condemnation, for they're in Christ Jesus. And so this eternal perspective, I think, has to transform the way you live, has to change the way I live. This eternal perspective is why missionaries pack up and move across the world to take the gospel to the nations. This eternal perspective is why Christians have conversations with their neighbors because of their eternal reality. They have conversations with Jesus about their neighbors because they want Jesus to be known, because eternity is coming because we're not made for this life. Future anticipation for what is to come leads to future, uh, leads to, uh, to current uh, motivation and, to current, cur- and, and to current way that we're living our lives. Just like the vacation, just like you begin to prepare for that vacation, looking, anticipating it. We tell of Jesus, anticipating return, uh, his return anticipating eternal realities, that Jesus wins in the end, that salvation, that there's good news in him, that salvation is this, this good news that's offered in Jesus. Uh, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for this picture in Revelation 7 because while it's just a glimpse, it's just, it's just a small glimpse, a small picture of what eternity looks like, uh, we can look at it and we can say, man, like, I want to be doing that. I want everybody I know to be doing that with me. And so that's, that's part of the motivation for me, the end result of our evangelism and missionary efforts. I look and I see, this is a, this is a glorious picture. There's complete contentment. There's complete satisfaction. And so, yeah, yeah, I want to be doing that. And I also want everybody around me to be doing that as well. I don't want anyone to miss out on this eternal reality. This is incredible. Uh, John if we keep reading through, we see that John is witnessing this scene from, from uh, the side. He's, he's looking on. He's, he's witnessing this, this scene, and he doesn't know exactly what's going on at first. I think this is, this is a fascinating scene. Uh, we, we, do now, uh, we, we do now because we have the entire scriptures, and so we see that this is uh, eternity. But John doesn't know what's going on. He, he's looking on, and he's like, Wow, this isn't this is incredible. This, this is insane. But w- what is going on? And so the angel comes up to him and asks him if he knows what's happening. And what she says, "Sir, you know." So uh, that's a smart move, man. You got an angel asking you. Yeah, let's defer back to the angel. <laughs> we want the angel to to tell us what's going on here. And so he defers back and he says, "Sir, you know." Um, and then the angel begins to go in and explain what is happening. And he confirms that the multitude is made up of those who have been washed by the blood of the lamb, those passing from this life into all eternity. You see that, that phrase, coming out of the tribulation. The angel says, it's, it's these coming out of the tribulation. I'll let you know how I interpret that. I interpret that as, as those coming out of the tribulation of life. So the tribulation being all the time prior to Christ's return. Say, all the time prior to the final return of Jesus. And so all of this multitude are coming out of this tribulation that we call life. And they're coming out and they're standing before God and the angel's saying, yes, the, the, these are the ones coming out of the, the great tribulation. 
I know there may be other interpretations out there, but this is how I read Revelation 7, the great tribulation as life on this earth prior to Christ's return before he establishes his full reign over all creation, over the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth. For those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb one day for all eternity, they will serve him as we were designed to do without the effects of sin, without any tribulation, without any time of trouble. Those who are washed by the blood of the Lamb will be eternally satisfied, perfectly content, waving palm branches, perfectly content, shouting salvation belongs to the Lord because they're in the presence of him for all eternity. And so if this, this scene is the end result of our evangelism and missionary efforts, church family, why would it take a back seat? I would say we should be thinking of this regularly. We should be thinking of these eternal realities regularly. We should be thinking about the souls of people regularly because people have eternal souls. Stand back. Look at this scene that John describes to see that this day is coming and this day will be a reality. Your soul is eternal along with every, every soul of the eight billion people that live on this earth. They're eternal souls. This is real. People from your neighborhood at work all the way to the unreached people of the Himalayas. They're eternal souls and they need to hear the gospel. I heard a, a phrase this week that really struck me. Uh, it went something like this. Uh, good news is only good if it gets there in time. And so I want to let that sink in because there is a day coming one, life is fleeting. Life is short, so we don't know when we'll, when we'll die. But also a day is coming when Christ will return. And so, and so this creates an urgency to share this good news. We, we want it to get there in time. We want, it, we want to share this good news. I heard that from, from David Platt this week as he was talking about missions and evangelism. The God of our salvation offers eternal salvation and restoration amidst the condemning effects of sin. It is clear in this passage that the multitude is not only worshiping God, of their, the God of their salvation, but they're restored to the God of their salvation. So that's the second thing I want to look at. Look at. They've been restored because their robes are white, because of the shed blood of Jesus for their sins. From verses 15 to 17, we have an incredible picture of what this restoration looks like. The therefore is key. Okay, so the, the multitude, verse 15 to 17, let's look at that together. So the multitude has been washed by the blood of the lamb. We see that in verse 14. And then the therefore is really important. Therefore, they're before the throne of God, serving him day and night in his temple. This is, this is symbolic, certainly symbolic. We know that a, a biblical theology of temple helps us understand that temple represents the new creation, okay? The new creation when Christ will return and establish his presence and his rule on this earth. And so God is in, in the very midst of that that new creation. A good way that I, that I like to put this is, is the garden restored. When we think about temple, this is, this, is the, this is the image of the garden being restored. And so the people of God who are in Christ will be serving the Lord day and night in the Garden of Eden, essentially, in the new creation, just like Adam and Eve were before the fall. And this will go on for eternity. And while they serve, they'll be sheltered by the Lord in his presence. Nothing separates us from God and nothing will be able to harm God's people in the new creation, in this eternal reality. Imagine that. Like this building, just in a really weak illustration, this building protects us from elements uh, 
if we think about the weather elements, protects us from, we're sheltered from that. We're sheltered from the weather elements. God on his throne will forever provide shelter from harm for his children. That's incredible. They're going to be fully content forever in his presence. Nothing will be able to harm them ever. He'll be sheltering them. We also see this multitude has been washed by the blood of the lamb. Therefore, verse 16, they shall hunger no more. Neither thirst no more. They won't be struck by scorching heat anymore. Basically, the earthly problems will be completely gone. No more food or, or water crisis in the new creation. No more hiding from the burning sun with no relief in the desert. I think it's, I think it's helpful uh, to think about this. These things might not be current challenges. There, there, there certainly is uh, food and, and, and water challenges uh, uh, here uh, around us. But it's also helpful to think about those that, that truly do have food and water crisis, those who are in places where they, don't have, they can't get access to food. They, they can't get access to water. They can't get out of the burning sun. There's no shelter for them. And so when we think of that, I think it helps us even more. The people that are hungry around the world the communities that don't have clean water, people that don't have homes that are homeless. That won't be the case anymore. These are real world problems, but these won't be problems in the new creation. These won't be problems in all eternity. This is incredible news. Let's keep looking. Verse 17, the multitude has been washed by the blood of the lamb. Therefore, Jesus the lamb will be their shepherd. I love this. He will guide them to springs of living water. And then finally, God will wipe away every tear of their eyes. Eternity, if you're familiar with Psalm 23, that's what eternity will look like. Eternity will look like Psalm 23. God's people being guided, God's sheep being guided by our shepherd. Everything, every need will be met. Every need will be fully satisfied in him. There will be no more suffering. The lamb who was slain for his sheep. I love this, reality, this, this, this picture here. So Jesus, the lamb who was slain for his sheep, will then turn around and, and, and lead the sheep. He will, he will be, their, be their shepherd forever. He will lead them. He will protect them. He will guide them. He will lead them to living water. This term in scripture is used to show us that our thirst will be quenched. Okay? Our thirsting and longing for God will be satisfied forever. We won't long for anything anymore. We'll be satisfied in God perfectly and completely. And he will wipe away every tear that this world brings. The suffering that this world brings, he'll wipe it away. It'll be no more. There will only be pure joy. There will only be satisfaction in him forever. This incredible day is coming, church family. I hope that this picture of a multitude standing before God, I hope it causes you to long for that day. I hope it strengthens your heart for evangelism and missions because that day is coming and there is a multitude who need to hear the gospel. This is eternal reality. We can share with the world and those around us good news that Jesus paid for our sins, that they can turn to him and be reconciled to him. Just like the reconciliation pictured here in Revelation chapter 7, there is hope for Jesus for all who are suffering. So when we're having gospel conversations, when someone speaks about the suffering of this world, we can take them to this picture. We can take them to Revelation 7 and how the suffering will be no more because of what Christ has done for those who have placed their trust in him, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. 
This is the good news of the gospel. We have opportunities to share of this, to tell of this from day to day. And when we think about the challenges of this world and the difficulties that this world presents and the suffering in this world, the brokenness of this world, this is a great segue into gospel conversations because there is hope in the midst of difficulty. There is hope in the midst of this broken world through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to conclude with this same question I asked at the beginning. How often do you think about eternity? Are you living your life with this eternal reality in Revelation 7 in mind? This image that John presents to us Is it in mind as you live your life? Are you thinking about it? One application of having this truth at the forefront of of my mind is for there to be an urgency to tell the truth about Jesus and strive to do whatever I can to make him known. This has been really weighing on me this week. I want to grow in this area. I want to tell the truth about Jesus with all who would hear. By no means... I want to create uh, guilt or shame as I'm calling us to this urgency as a church family. We know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and we praise the Lord for that. But at the same time, if we don't see the multitude in Revelation as a, as a motivation to tell of the judgment to come and to tell that the salvation that's offered in Christ, something has to change in our lives. Something has to change in each of us individually. I was uh, convicted of that even this week. We have to ask the Lord to create this urgency in our hearts for the sake of his glory, for the sake of of his great name. During this evangelism series, I I know a greater greater urgency has been stirred up in me. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, the Lord is answering prayers in my own life uh, to be able to tell the truth about Jesus, and I I praise him for that. Uh, I've been reminded of David Platt who uh, early in my faith was probably the greatest influence when it comes to a pastor and an author, definitely when it comes to uh, being uh, missions-minded and, 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 uh, and evangelism. Uh, when I was uh, younger, I read his book Radical that came out, New York Times bestseller, uh, selling author. And I know there's been critiques of it uh, since. Uh, but I, but I, I read it. I went back. I, I didn't read the whole thing, but I went back and read pieces of it. I revisited it this week. I haven't revisited it in probably 10 to 15 years. So I went back this week and I cracked it open. And in the conclusion, I read this. And I thought this is fitting. This would be helpful to share at the very end because I think it's helpful. I think it's really helpful. This is what uh, David Platt says at the very end. He says, you and I stand on the porch of eternity. Okay, that sounds familiar, right? Both of us will soon stand before God to give an account for our stewardship of time, resources, the gifts, and ultimately the gospel he has entrusted to us. We will not wish we had more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued more greater retirement, or been more successful in the eyes of the world. Instead, we will wish we had given more of ourselves to living for the day when every nation, tribe, people, and language will bow down around the throne and sing the praises of the Savior who delights in radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship. I hope hope uh, that that will stick with you. The reality in in some of our lives is that we're, uh, is that some of our lives are going to look more radical than others. In fact, many of our lives are going to look 
very ordinary, the person who packs up and moves across the world, which may be one of you, and we'd be so pumped about that. But the reality is, is that life would look far more radical than some of you who may, uh, who may purchase a home in the area or stay in your home in the area and live right here around Abner Creek. That's great. It might look, or, uh, it, it might look more ordinary than some, and that's, and that's okay. But we don't want our ordinary lives to be an excuse for staying quiet about Jesus. Please, don't let your ordinary life keep you, uh, be an excuse for you to be quiet about Jesus. We must not let that be an excuse. The eternal perspective changes the way that we live now. Paul talks about the Christian life as a race. Races have finish lines. And the whole time the runner's running toward the finish line, toward a prize, the prize for our life is Jesus. Eternity with him. And this changes the way that we naturally live our lives on mission because there will be a day when nothing else matters but worship to the God of our salvation. And so we cannot forget this. There will be those among the multitude that God has saved because you opened your mouth and you told them the truth about Jesus. So let's pray and let's consider these things. And I want to say, if, if you're not following Jesus this morning, you've just seen a picture of eternity. The opposite reality is, is far different, separation from God forever. And so I, I want to encourage you and call you to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you right now, don't wait. Don't wait. Repent of your sins and trust in him. You will be eternally satisfied. This is eternal reality, this picture. You'll be eternally satisfied in him. You'll find joy in this life and forever. And so follow Jesus Look to Jesus, turn from your sins and believe that he paid for your sins through his death, burial, and resurrection. And do so today. I'd love to talk to you after the service uh, about that. So come find me. Let me pray. And then we're going to go into a time of the Lord's Supper where we're going to uh, be a great time for you during this time of meditation to reflect on eternity and to ask the Lord to, uh, to thank him and to worship him for paying for your sins and ask uh, him to help you to be more faithful in your evangelism and missionary efforts. Let's pray. Father, uh, you are so kind to us. And as we look at this text and we see this, uh, this text centered around this idea of a multitude worshiping you, we are blown away that this reality is coming and that for all who are in Christ, we get to participate in this worship forever. And so we praise you for that. I pray that you would grow us in our evangelism. I pray that we would look at this end and eternal result to our evangelism and missionary efforts and this would lead us to be more faithful in this area. I pray that you would help us to identify those in our lives right now that we can tell the truth about Jesus too and that we begin to set up a strategy and we begin to do that. That we begin to to tell of his salvation from day to day as marvelous works among all peoples. We pray this in, in Jesus' name, amen.